We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Welcome everybody back, Steve with Suspidelli. I'm coming at you with another book review on Finding Frasati with Christine Wohor. Uh, Frasati, is it Frasati Inc., right? Frasati USA. USA, Frasati USA. My apologies, yeah. mea culpa. On the great, blessed Pierre Michelangelo Frasati. Near Georgia. Don't call him. Pierre. Pierre. Rule number one of yeah. Fight Club. Chapter two, chapter two in the book. <laughs> so... Christine, welcome back. Uh, we did another one on uh, Bless Pierre Giorgio uh, long ago, probably about a year ago now. And uh, they they told me about your new book coming out. I said, heck, yeah, let's do it. The more, the more Giorgio, the better. So welcome. Congratulations on the new book. Yes, thank you. So what made you do this one? Well, this is my first book. I co-edited the book of Pierre Giorgio's letters, but that's his book yeah. uh, because those are his letters. Um, and for a long time, everybody just said, you should do a book. In fact, his niece, Wanda, had said to me one time, uh, Christine, not only should you, you must, you know, you must do it. So I think being in the position that I've got in, I've learned that if you stick around long enough, you become the expert. <laughs> and so, so that's that's what happened um, 15 years into this. I've had a lot of special experiences and great, you know, off the record types of conversations and getting to know the accurate story behind a lot of the stories. I, I enjoy, sometimes people will tell me stories about Pierre Giorgio and I'm like, great story. Not one word of that is true, but I enjoy hearing <laughs> you tell me with such enthusiasm. So, and so, you know, some of these things may not have been stories that people have seen before because some of them are coming from a book that's not been translated yet into English, but for the most part, wanted to have something that's a little bit more, um, calling people to holiness more than just reading about Pierre Giorgio. So, so that really was the key because the, the long title, Finding Frasati and Following His Path to Holiness, that's, that's the two-pronged approach. I know there are a lot of people who still may not have heard of Pierre Giorgio, but even those that do, it's um, not just really enough to know about him, but we should try to implement that spirituality. And in this culture right now, wow, we need people, men and women, in the spirit of Pierre Giorgio. Yeah, everyone has them as a the mountain climber. They they do the sports with them, the Frasati uh, athletic programs and things like that. But they don't talk about his love of Mary, his Eucharistic devotions, uh, his care for the poor, sick, all that. That's true. You know, the first thing people think of is he was a mountain climber and fun. Yeah. Like the fun, relatable part of him, people really embrace but um, especially now with how little devotion there is to the Eucharist, this is a guy who went to um, the Eucharist every day from when he was 12 years old. So um, that was a 12-year-old, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 22. I mean, that age range, imagine going every day with parents who really 
didn't even his father never set foot you know his father was a fallen away catholic so when you think about that that eucharistic model that we have in Pierre Giorgio, if we all jumped on that bandwagon, wow, that would really transform the church, that in and of itself. Yeah, you had a great story about somebody watching him, and he's doing all, he was taking notes of all the uh, ways to stay awake and all night adoration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a kick. That uh, is a testimony by a brother, Brother Lodovico, because Pierre Giorgio would go for, they would have all night adoration at a particular, in fact, um, today, the day that we're talking is the feast of St. Peter Julian Imard. And I was just telling my morning prayer group, Peter Julian Imard founded the the Order of the Blessed Sacrament, the Sacramentini, who there's a book in Italian that I picked up that I love. And it's all about how Pier Giorgio started Eucharistic Adoration, but it was because of St. Peter Julian Imard founding that community and it made its way into northern Italy into Turin and so it was those sacrament uh, sacramentini those priests that religious community that had the all-night adoration and so in that testimony of brother Lodovico that community after their name I think has SS it just strikes me funny <laughs> for, for, for other reasons but they would have um, adoration for different groups so there would be a student night a worker night and then some that were just a religious community and in that story Peter Giorgio showed up on the night that wasn't for students but he insisted on spending the night and then I, I did get tickled because I've been there you know you're doing this and all the things you're trying to do and that he called those his little holy tricks brother Lodovico watched him and said his little holy tricks that he would do to stay awake so uh, yeah it's so human and so relatable and those are the re those are the kind of stories that make me uh, really love uh, the um, example of Pierre Giorgio because yeah I'm there with you huh? Saint, wasn't it Saint Therese Saint Therese of Lisieux who said like if you fall asleep it's okay like the, the Lord's watching you like your child yeah oh, yeah yeah. You, yeah you go in not wanting to but if you end up happening to it's like yeah. alright you know let me go to adoration it's time for my bedtime <laughs> I don't even try <laughs> I say sometime to a friend of mine I don't think we're getting any credit <laughs> I don't think we're getting any credit for this but then there are some of those saints who give us those assurances that, yeah, it's it's good, it counts, it's all good. Yeah, the, the first time I heard about his adoration, it actually was uh, uh, following Matteo Crowley's book, Jesus, King of Love. He writes about the Catholic Action League. And mm -hmm. uh, let's see, there was, there was four Italians. Uh, Giorgio was one of them. The, uh, the dentist, uh, Giuseppe, I can't think of his last name. It's like four blessings, a couple saints, thousands of men doing it. And I was like, wait, wait I heard of that guy. He was the mountain climber guy, but no one ever told me about that he actually did adoration all night long with a bunch of other guys. Um, mm -hmm. That really wanted me to get, like, the cat that actually started around here. It's like, hey, guys, check this guy. He was a little bit more than uh, surfing. and Well, he didn't surf, but he sailed. Well, that was another one. I didn't know he was a beach bum. I, I'm a Charleston beach bum at heart. I, oh, I, okay. I love that chapter. <laughs> Yeah, he spent a lot of time at the sea, a lot. And I, I enjoy the fact that his relationships with the important people in his life like when he would write to his father he would often talk about the land his father was very interested in agriculture and he would write to his uh, mother's close painter friend alberto falchetti and he would always talk about the museums and the art but when he went to the sea he would write to his aunt elena because she loved to go out on on the water as well so he spent a lot of time right there in turin is the po river runs through turin and that's where he was the last time he was out before he died was a Tuesday, the week that he died, the last day that he actually was able to leave the house 
was a, tu- a Tuesday. The the guys he went with some friends and they went out uh, in a small boat on the Po River. So he spent a lot of time on the water. Yeah, I could actually when you were writing that, you, I was reading that chapter. Was, I could picture him just sitting there looking out into the waves and it's like, man, yep, yeah, just go down to Folly Beach, sit on a rock and watch the listen to waves come in. Nobody's around. It, it, it's like, yeah, you can you can really get into a deep mind. So thank God you were that he's that big that he can create that gigantic mass of water and you're just mm-hmm. nothing yeah what yeah, about a great picture there's a great picture of pierre giorgio at the beach with his sister and he looks very contemporary in what he's wearing and his sister looks like you know miserable <laughs> but very modest very modest but uh, miserable but yes yeah yeah i he like to a, think of him at the beach you were also mentioned about he was 12 years old with the eucharist adoration but his marian devotion was even younger wasn't with the flowers cutting cutting fresh bouquets for her and even into his uh, late teens 20s right right the they they people this is another one of those frasati legends that you read about that when pierre Giorgio went and stayed at the family home in polone which that's where you would go now to find out anything to, to immerse in pierre Giorgio. that's where i went and where i met his sister when she was just turning 104 and where i would you know spend my long stays because that's the family home that is still um, in the family. The one that was where he died in Turin is a bank now. Mm. So in Polone, it's up there at the base of the mountains, beautiful mountain flowers and a mountain, um, the sanctuary of Europa, which is rather large. He would go there, but people will say legendarily that he woke up every morning and ran up to Europa for mass and came back, which he didn't do that every day. Like his niece said, he would go when he came. When he went to stay in Polone, he would go. And then when he would leave, he would go to you know say goodbye to his beloved Madonna there, but not every day. But all along that um, path are you know beautiful little outdoor shrines like they do in Italy. It's, it's one of those nice things about walking around Italy and on a street corner, there's a, all of a sudden some beautiful artwork of the Blessed Mother. But his big devotion was Our Lady of Europa up there, and he would bring flowers to her. That's one of the nice things I've always enjoyed when I stay at the family home because they have beautiful flower gardens. And Pierre Giorgio often would write about the flowers when he would write letters to his his grandmother or something that he's been down there picking the flowers. So I think he just I think he enjoyed them. And there are always fresh flowers from the family gardens in the rooms. I can see him just you know swiping that bouquet and running up and giving it to Our Lady. Somebody said to me, well, where did he get the flowers in the winter? And I thought, hmm, that's a good question. But I'm sure there were, you know, there are always winter flowers. We have what, well, we have pansies at least. So. Yeah, something's around. Yeah, there's something. And and I like that uh, description of him going in the snow even to, did, to take flowers to the Madonna. Did his sister ever mention to you why that particular Marian devotion or statue? Uh you know, every region of Italy has their own merit. You know, Our Lady of something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's one of that's one of the nuances in the church that I, I think that must drive non-Catholics crazy. <laughs> we, we have like a million titles. Yes. <laughs> Our Lady of the Snow, Our Lady of this. I, I, I sometimes I think about that. I go, what? Why do we do that? But I think in the regions, I know my my Italian family, they're all very, so very devoted to that regional Madonna. So this is a dark a Madonna, a, a brown, he called it, it's the Madonna Bruna. They call her the brown Madonna, but it's one of the black Madonnas attributed to St. Eusebius, who, um, having brought it there to that particular region mm-hmm. of 
Italy. And today's feast of Saint Eusebius of Vercelli. I don't know if that's the exact same one who brought those statues. Oh, that's uncanny <laughs> uh, things today. But he also had a great devotion to um, Our Lady of uh, the Consolata, the, the beautiful, really beautiful shrine in Turin. So I think a lot of that was just the natural regional um, devotion. Makes sense. It's, know, like it's, like your it's like your team. Yeah. So that, that's how they do it. I think in Italy is everyone has their their Madonna. You read there was an article about or not article is a uh, chapter about his confession in the middle of the street. It, it read like you could that could have been part of a movie that you, you just picture everyone walking by on a big day and he's just a padre kind of you know confession. Yes. That's funny because one of my my sister, my younger sister, she she really liked that as well. And I think of that so vividly. I can picture him because I know this, you know, the street that they describe and I can just picture him just pulling a priest aside. When you think about it, I remember at some point in, in my lifetime when there was this move to going to confession face to face and then you'd have like the side of the conf remember confessionals well there's a concept <laughs> the side of the confessional for the screen and the side face to face i think so it wasn't even like a thing to informalize uh, confession and i know people have different opinions on that but i think the idea was he was going to church he wanted to receive the eucharist um, worth the most worthily he could. He saw a priest and he's like, "This will do." Why not? <laughs> and, and the story was very uncomfortable. The priest was looking around the whole time, like, "Who's you know who's watching us?" He couldn't even focus. And there's Pierre Giorgio, just you know. And that's in a Catholic, not just nation, but Catholic city too. That the priest was kind of put off. Imagine that happening in you're in Nashville, downtown Nashville, or me in Charlotte. Just imagine Father being a little weird about that. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I went to lunch with two priests and some friends. Um, we had introduced these two priests. They they were visiting and we were we were at lunch in uh, in Alabama. And as soon as lunch was over, apparently the one wanted to go to confession and had asked the other one. And we just we kind of noticed. They said, oh, could you give us a minute? And they did right on the side of the. And that was it brought it to life for me because I was like, oh. And so we walked away and they were hearing, hearing each other's confessions, I think. Uh, that was so um, right there in Alabama. Like, uh, who's looking at that thinking, what are they doing? So, yeah, that would have been a spectacle, I think. That You know, that's the beauty of Pierre Giorgio is they say that nobody ever laughed at him because he was who he was. And so he was so authentic. That I just think all he was thinking about was the grace. He he wanted that grace and he wanted to go worthily to the Eucharist. So he mentioned in procession he was chest up, head up, you know, proud to be walking in procession in a time of fascism where people would yell at you for being Catholic. Again, in a Catholic nation. Right. Right. He 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 endured a lot of things that we're going through right now. So uh, I think that's another solace you can find in Pierre Giorgio is that he went through similar times. Um, just this, you know, the rise of communism, fascism in his country, which made his blood boil to see it. And he was so disgusted with the Italian politics that he considered moving to Germany. Mm -hmm. This is pre-Hitler Germany. And uh, yeah, there was a great, he, great quote you had of uh, the Germans in there about being uh, uh, he that he said they were very kind or warming or authentic or something like that. Yes. I don't remember. It's his quote, right? Yeah. But I know what you're saying. He preferred to go there because they had not been tainted by all of the, um, 
the corruption. Of course, we think of Italian politics, we think of corruption, but I think he was he was more disgusted because he had joined the Italian People's Party that was supposed to be based on your Catholic principles. And so he was seeing men trample on their consciences um, just for political power. But right, he was very uh, courageous going out in processions. He would be the guy that would be there to protect the, the procession with the Eucharist. And they, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing when you're in Italy because I've participated in many of those processions. But when you think that it's a procession and people are coming to, you know, to do harm and somebody has to be the strong guy to, to be there to defend it and be fearless, that was Pier Giorgio. So, yeah, far, far, far more than just a guy on the mountains having a good time with his friends. You know, <laughs> yeah, he did a little bit more than smoke, uh, play pool and yeah, climb a mountain. Uh, you mentioned the authenticity. Uh, there was one where you talked about him uh, reading the uh, little office and people would ask him, what are you doing? And he'd just sit there in the middle of wherever he's doing and just start doing the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the that that reminds me of another story that I don't think is in the book, but I tell it a lot that Pierre Georgia was leaving church with his rosary in his hand. And someone saw him and accused him of becoming a religious fanatic because he actually had a sacramental <laughs> and was carrying it in public, right? But he the same thing with his his prayer book. He would sit on the tram and read his prayer book and not be not give it a thought because he was Catholic. He was just a Catholic guy. It, it was not like an adjective about him. It was a part of him, like his DNA. And so it didn't register to him that this is something you do in a certain place, right? It's 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 wherever you are. I'm a Catholic wherever I am. So I'm not like a Catholic in church on Sunday. That's a big problem I think we have in our culture. We turn it on and off. For Pierre Georgia, there was no off switch. He was always he was always on. Yeah, you mentioned him doing a sign of a cross in the middle and, and on the street in front of the church and people were yell at him, make call him a name moron. I think it was the name that they were used and yeah, I mean you don't have to go into this. You mentioned at the end of our uh, the uh, chapters little tidbits or tips to do or ideas to do, like pray, make sure you do the sign across before and after uh, uh, lunch or dinner in the middle of a restaurant. So not have to yell Benedici chain in the middle of the restaurant, but just do the sign of the cross and say a prayer. You might have somebody say, "Hey, that's pretty. That's pretty neat over there." Right. That that's what this book. That's what this book tries to do. I think that there are there are only a handful of books in English to begin with yeah. about Pier Giorgio. There are plenty in Italian, but they haven't been translated. And what what most of the books you can pick up until this one are just like a straight biography that are usually translated or adapted or adapted from an Italian book. So this is one of the few, if not the first, that is a. Uh, written by an American, I mean, an English-speaking person, uh, and with the prayer and the action steps to try to just not read about him, but put it into action. You know, I was in uh, I was in the Turin train station one time, and that's my habit. It's always been, and that's because of my parents. You pray before meals and never even gave, gave it a thought. And I was in a crowded train station there was a mcdonald's it was at the end of like three months in italy and i was going home and i'm like i just need something that's like something something i'm, I'm used to now and it was jam-packed everybody had their luggage and i finally found a spot and i put my stuff there and i made the sign of the cross said the grace before meals and started to eat a young italian woman came up to me and she said, I just wanted you to know, she, I, after I had been eating for a little bit, she goes, I just wanted you to know um, how much that 
meant to me to see you make a sign of the cross. And she had just come from a Catholic retreat, but she wasn't, she was not able to do it. And so then we had the most beautiful conversation and it like, it made a friend. And then I went on the train and I had the same thing happen. A girl in the compartment across from me saw that I was praying the rosary. And so it made her feel comfortable to talk to me. And I thought those were two encounters that I had that day that were simply because I prayed and, and, and wasn't afraid to do it. And I think that is how Pierre Giorgio did it all the time. And so uh, I'm not Pierre Giorgio level, but uh, I think that's the whole point of this book too, is that we're not supposed, we don't have to worry about being Be you know, you. The, saint, the saint on the top all the way and at the highest level, but you know, just take the baby steps. I like to say, we just do the fundamentals after time. Like even this is a case where doing the fundamentals myself in time, I've gotten to know Pierre Giorgio so well. So yeah, yeah, we have to practice. We have to try, we have to try to be Christian. Yeah, just be you, but be you greatly. And just be you. Don't be scared of being you. And uh, mm -hmm. if you love somebody, you want to tell somebody else about it. Just like he was, he had this book on, was it Catherine of Siena? That he, right, for evangelization purposes? Mm -hmm. Yes, he loved to read the dialogue. I love that story because here he is um, just going to visit a friend. And he's he's carrying his book with him. And he just is thinking about how beautiful it was that Catherine of Siena was able to, to talk with God. And so excited that he pulls it out to read it to his friend, you know, and to, and to share his enthusiasm and how she was able to talk with Christ. And then it was almost prophetic, right? Because he dies a few days later. And so he gets to have that chance to talk with Christ. But yeah, and, and that was, a, that's a great story because Peter Giorgio believed that the apostolate of persuasion is the most beautiful and the most necessary. That's almost before his time in a way. Uh, it's it's an otherworldly wisdom because survey after survey always show that the most influential people in, in our lives are our peers, mm -hmm. right? Like your parents, as parents, you can tell your kids everything, but, um, you know, so-and-so down the street says this or that, all of a sudden it's true. Like all the the, I remember buddies of mine, my, my, they, they, trying to teach somebody to hit, they go, and the next guy down the street says the exact same thing. Goes, I've been telling you this for five years. <laughs> right, exactly. Your parents are always wrong. It takes, it takes you a long time to figure out, you know, um, but yeah, and and he he was a big fan of hers and Peter Martyr. I, that was one that I didn't know when I was reading your book. I didn't know Peter Verona that he was a big that he was at least a fan of his. I got his photo on top of the altarpiece behind me. I got his palms over there for the blessed mm -hmm. palms to protect the house from uh, storms and oppression. Which I don't know if anybody knows about it. I got it on the website. I've seen storm clouds go from red break up, go around and form back on the other side wow. every wow. time. Hurricanes turn right. Oh, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In Denver, I gave it to a lady. She was a skeptic. She planted them. She was the only house in her neighborhood that didn't need a new roof after uh, a hailstorm. She asked for wow. a couple more later. But uh, he loved the Dominicans because he was a tertiary one, right? He was, you know, and, and on that note that you're saying, we should all use sacramentals a lot more. Oh, I think yeah. Pierre Georgia was big on that. I think that's one of the things that my priest now, he talks about a lot. And I think that's something that some people um, have really gotten away from. But I think we really, really need to return to sacramentals. Yeah, I think Pierre Giorgio, he was very influenced by, he was every man, you know. He was influenced strongly by the Jesuit fathers who actually got him started on daily communion and actually introduced him to 
his charitable work with the conferences of St. Vincent de Paul. But he lived in Turin, where the Salvatorans were Don Bosco's beautiful shrine in. And so he went to confession a lot to the Salvatoran priests. He was influenced by um, the Dominicans, I think, so much because they were the ones who were doing most of the preaching. Uh, one of his his nieces said that there was, she was, you don't remember, you're not old enough, but there were times when people weren't even supposed to have, didn't have the whole Bible in their houses. And so th- this is where they learned um, the scriptures was through the Dominicans. And so the Dominicans were a big presence in Turin. There's a very old church there, San Domenico, which I mentioned casually in the book, where he, and the side altar, um, professed as a as a lay Dominican, so um, yeah, he had a and, and there. It's interesting that there is a connection there to um, Peter Verona, Peter Martyr, so uh, which would be one of his name um, name saints in a way. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah. To raise it up. There he is up there. Okay, I got a palm behind there. I, I, I taped to the thing. Just yeah, like I said, it were I, I every time a storm goes, hey, Saint Peter, keep protect the house and protect the family uh, he, and. You know, sadly, I think that church is not being contro- uh, run by the Dominicans right now. I think for some reason there was some just with the whole thing with the vocations and all of that. So, but that that is a one of those churches. It's only open for a couple of hours. If you get to Turin and can get in there, you have to time it just right for when it's open. But yeah, so there was a strong Dominican influence in his life. I, I really I relate to Pierre Giorgio in that regard so much because I was raised and still am Byzantine Catholic Eastern Rite, mm-hmm. but we went to the Latin Rite, you know, the Roman Rite, grade school and high school our whole lives. I consider myself like a spiritual mutt because we had a lot of variety of spiritual influences. Um, and one of the Byzantine priests would always get upset that people never know about the Eastern Rites. Um, they don't, it's not even on their radar. And he would say, you know, the church breathes with both lungs. And so I see in Pierre Giorgio, he had um, influences by a lot of different charisms of different religious communities. And I, and I like that about him because even though he encouraged his friends to join uh, the, the lay Dominicans, he was um, frequently in contact with priests from all of those different communities. So I think that all is reflected in his spirituality, his love of the poor, his love for scripture, his love, you know, it, it, he was so, um, so many facets uh, to him because he had so many rich spiritual influences. I love the uh, playing pool and betting on it that if you, all right, if you, if I win, you're going to church for me. Yeah, Pierre George's stories with his friends, that would be a great that would be a great thing to write about. It would take a little bit of effort to understand his sense of humor, um, the things that he would write. He would write these things called proclamations. I actually do one of those once a month, our mailing list. I send out a proclamation. Actually, it comes out the first Thursday of the month. Um, and that comes right from him. But he would just in writings to his friends, once you get to know him, they're hilarious. And so, and the practical jokes that they played on him too are really funny. So it's a, that is something that we know more peripherally, I think, about his sense of humor and his practical jokes. But I think they would have gotten it completely when he would make a wager for them to go to church. I mean, he meant it and I'm sure he made them, you know, pay up and go with him. <laughs> but he had a lot of fun things that he would do that I think his friends, you know, they're, you know, that, that was, yeah, he was a Pied Piper in many ways, and 
an instigator in many ways, his good friend Marco, they would be always, they had to be separated a lot of times because of their inability to stop laughing and horsing around. But when he was in front of the Lord in church, yeah. he was the example of reverence. So, um, and we need all of it, right? Yes. Every, we've lost collective sense of humor, it seems lately. And I think that's another reason why he's such a terrific, you know, guy for our times is remember how to laugh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I talk about all the time. I'm a quote unquote trad, but I can't stand that. I go to a, afterwards and no one likes laughing. Everyone's stoic or serious. And I remember talking to one guy years ago and to get off and the girl's dating at the time. She goes, how was that? I go, that tree had more personality than that dude. <laughs> just going, Come on. You got to be able to laugh and enjoy and have a good time with it. And as he, it seems like he enjoyed the outdoors, his family, he put his family first above pretty much everything else other than our Lord, right? Yeah. And Pierre Georgia had a difficult family life. It's, it comes up in the book as well um, with his parents had a stressful relationship. They were actually on the verge of separation at the time that he died but stayed together afterward because of that. But yeah, he had his priorities in order. I don't think there's any question. And and the beauty, the beautiful thing about that is he wasn't supported at home. Um, uh, I've shared before that I came from a solid, solid Catholic home. And my dad was the spiritual head of the household. In fact, when he passed away and I was going through his paperwork, I shared with my brothers and sisters how much so he was. Because my mother was 100% Italian, so you just kind of figure she was calling the shots. <laughs> you know, my dad was a more calm guy, but you can see in their communications and everything, really the spiritual head. And, and Peter Georgia was forced to be the spiritual head of his household because he didn't have that spirituality in the home. And so yet he was able to take that and radiate that. Um, it, it's, it's incredible, really, the example that he sets for us in, in so many different ways. Yeah, my grandma, my mom's side of family, we come from Naples, and uh, uh, my grandma's house, we always joke, and you can genuflect in front of the house. <laughs> as long, and if you came inside, everyone got a big loaf of bread to go with it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even though his parents didn't have the spirituality that he had, um, as you say, it was his priority, his family. Um, he did things, uh, one of the hardest things that he had to do was obey his father when uh, he was grad about to graduate and wanted to go and work in the mines as a mining engineer. His father wanted him to work at the paper. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful story uh, that when his father sent a, an executive, a managing, managing editor to Pierre Georgia to tell him, uh, your father expects you to work at the paper. He said that with tears in his eyes, Pierre Georgia said, if this will make my father happy, then tell him I accept. And one of the most widely misunderstood stories about his budding love for uh, Laura Hidalgo and how he renounced that love because he didn't want it to be a stressor in his parents' relationship. So uh, not because they wanted, not because they made him do it. And I try to explain that. It's, it's so confusing uh, what people understand about that, but I try to give the right story uh, in the book. Um, but he, it was out of love for his parents and his family, as you say, like it was a priority. He understood um, you know, God and and first, obviously, but his family was key to him. Even your points at the end of the chapters were great about, you know, make sure you call your, you know, or say prayers for your uh, mom or dad and offer a rosary for them or your grandparents light a candle. I'm going, even just something as simple as that. I was like, wow, you know, I didn't even think about that. That's a great idea. 
Yeah, and Pierre George's grandmother, uh, Linda, the one who died a few days before him, she was the one that had more of the spirituality in the family, and she would teach him those things, like to remember to pray for the dead and and uh, some of the things that he did and how faithful he was to remembering people who had lost loved ones. I especially, now that my parents are gone, and I think that um, when certain pe- people go through different tragedies, you get in a club that you don't want to be in, like when everybody loses everything in the flood, you're one of those people that lost everything in the flood, or you know, um, you've lost a child, you're in that club of people who have lost a child, and not necessarily clubs, I say clubs, like you know, groups that you want to be in. And I think the same thing's true when you lose your parents or your loved ones. Like Peter Giorgio's mother lost her mother and her son within a span of a few days. And uh, I think, you know, we probably need to think a little bit more about how important those relationships are and, and nurture them and cherish them because when they're gone, they're gone. And uh, when he was gone, it left such a void in the family and in the circle of friends to the point that even his um, family was so stunned to see the outpouring of people when he died to say, even we didn't know our son, like they didn't even have that appreciation of him when he was alive. And some of that I think is just the way things are. You, you always see your parents as your parents. You don't see them as people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, are they really people? And then when it's too late, you see them as people. I find myself so much now thinking about my parents as people rather than my parents. And, uh, and I think Peter Giorgio really treasured the people in his life. And so that's why there is, uh, in fact, because he he did and he wrote so many letters to them and was such a great communicator. And that's why we have the richness of all of the words that he used, which is every one of these uh, reflections in the book starts with something that he wrote or said. You even got his text messages. What? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And we have that because he was so concerned about his family and friends. I mean, he was constantly keeping in touch with them. So, um, yeah, these are good lessons. I try to have little action steps that are doable because I don't like to read books where it says things that I know I'm never going to do. I mean, it's like, that sounds good, but I'm never going to do it. Yeah, everything Um, you have in there action-wise was very doable. And by the way, when I meant text messages, guys, transcripts, it was condensed to short words, 10 words or whatever like this. Kind of like a text message. Telegrams, yeah, (laughs) telegrams. Telegrams, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What was the story... Now, I know we have, you've told me one, and I, I won't ask you to tell that one because it's uh, might be controversial. Uh, but what is the story that didn't make the book that you wish you could have put it in there? Um, I, one of the things, I wouldn't say a story, but one of the things I wished I, I had written more about was Pierre Giorgio's chastity. Because I think it's a big element of his spirituality that would have probably been a good thing to to bring out more in the book. When he died, the people who heard his confession, the priests would say they could assure you that um, that he was chased until he died. And I think um, it's something that to, to look at a guy like this who had wealth and a lot of um, opportunities and friends and all of that, to be really crystal clear with people that he was a, a pure living Catholic man. Um, and that while he enjoyed life and and did all of these fun things and had a, 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 a wide group of friends, even when he had that relationship with Laura, he she never really knew about it because he would, if he wrote her a note, he would write a note to like three or four other girls so that it would look like, you know, I'm just writing to all my friends. Uh-huh. Um, in other words, he protected so much the reputations of his girl friends. 
Um, he respected them so much so that he didn't want to have any innuendo or suggestion about them. And I think we do a lot of um, uh, joking about things that are really inappropriate. And that was something that never entered into his mind. It was the opposite. He um, respected the girls that he was friends with. He had he, he, he has a great line about after parents and sisters, how, how beautiful friends are, how, how much they influence us and how much they guided him. Precious guides for his whole life. So I think if I would have added one more uh, chapter, I would have liked to have dwelled on that because I think, uh, especially like, again, in this culture now, even even how we go to church, uh, there's so much immodesty even in the church. So uh, I like when you look at pictures of Pierre Giorgio, he looks like the Catholic gentleman yeah. and he acted like the Catholic gentleman. So um, sure, he had a good time. He was on the mountains. He knew how to play practical jokes. He did all of those things. But even in his uh, rep, um how he recognized the dignity of the poor when his friends would go with him to these miserable places where he would go and they would be like, can't we just go in the family car, you know, ride in, bring the stuff and leave kind of because they didn't want to deal with the stench and the, of the slums or the filth. And he would say, you don't, you don't approach a poor person that way. You approach them with dignity. So I think all of his relationships he recognized the true dignity of every person. So whether it was a relationship with women that he wanted to preserve their relationships, their their the integrity, so they wouldn't have anybody casting aspersions on them. Um, I think it's a really an important point because we um, we should protect uh, reputations of each other by not creating temptation for people by the way um, we dress and talk and act. And I think that was a big part of his spirituality that is not discussed much, and unfortunately, I didn't do it either. And maybe there'll be a, a second book on that or a, a continuation one. The video is better than the book, right? Because now I covered it. There, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, but you don't become incorrupt for... I'm sorry? No, I do think it is a key component of who he was. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's something I overlooked, yeah. Uh, there, you don't become incorrupt for how many? It was 80 years plus just by climbing mountains. So there's more to him than just you know, mountain climbing and sailing. Right. Well, Christine, uh, that's great. Uh, the uh, show notes underneath will have the book links along with the VersatiUSA.org website. Sign up for the newsletter. She's got, what, what all you got on the website? You know, the website is, uh, there are a few sections there. And what I try to do is make it the most accurate source of information about Pierre Georgia. But when you go on, the very first thing you will do is it'll pop up with a 15 minute video on get to know him. Everybody should watch that video at least once. Um, and then you can immerse into all of the different aspects of his spirituality biographically. Um, there are places to connect with other groups that are out there formed in uh, with the patronage of Pierre Georgia, find a Frasati group in your area, learn a lot of the prayers. Um, there's, we have a bookstore that, uh, portal at the, on the homepage because that goes directly to the sister servants of the eternal word that do all of the Frasati um, shipping and things. So yeah, I, well, the, the goal of that website, in addition to people being able to find information is to know that when they go there, they're going to find accurate information. So very good. Well, Christine, appreciate your time and uh, congrats on the book. And again, the show notes will have the book and the website in there and uh, yeah, take care and, uh, Thanks for coming on. We'll do it again another time. Thanks. It's good to see you again. It's yes, like ma'am. You too. I'm an old friend. I appreciate <laughs> it. Amen.